Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg, and I'm joined with some friends today. I've got my friend Felix, my friend Randy, and my co-host, Jim Reske. Guys, I hope you guys are doing well. I'll 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 let you talk in a minute. Today, we're going to talk about the letter of 2 Thessalonians, one of the first letters that the Apostle Paul wrote out of all the different letters he wrote, you know, he wrote like almost two-thirds of the New Testament, so he did a lot of writing. This is one of the first letters he wrote. We're going to read the chapters and then give our impressions and talk about themes that we see and questions, and we hope and pray that it's beneficial to those of you listening with us, join with us. This is the Gospel Addict Podcast. We call ourselves Gospel Addicts, and so Jim, I'm going to start with you. Why why do we call this the Gospel Attic Podcast? Because once you've tasted the kindness of the Lord and just tasted his grace, you just can't get enough. Just like being an addict. You gotta, uh, you gotta keep coming back for more. Yeah, so we talk about that the good news of Jesus not only brings us to God for, for our salvation, but that good news is what helps us grow as believers helps us become more and more like Jesus, that we we never get enough of it. And we live in a world full of addictions. People are addicted to all kinds of different things. Um, one of the most healthy addictions in the world is to be addicted to the gospel. So Randy, do you have any thoughts on that before we dive into Second Thessalonians? Well, um, I think, Craig, the one thing I, just as a reminder, is how much we need Christ. The one thing I do like about the, the term gospel addict is that uh, addict is something that they, they need. They have to have it. And I think for us, it's just a reminder that um, I, I love the verse that says, Jesus, who is your life? Mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, someone once said to me, could you live the Christian life if the Holy Spirit was taken away? And if he answers yes, then we're not doing it right. Because it's, it's not hard to follow Jesus. It's impossible apart from God. And yet God's the one that makes it, makes it work. So I think that's part of your idea with, a, with the name. Thanks. That's great. Felix, uh, what's going on with you? Uh, just my, my college, actually my university, my PhD has started. And I've been busy with that. It's, you know, like it hits you. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed with everything that's happening in my life. I was actually, yesterday I was praying to God to give me more perseverance and, you know, strength and consistency with following Lord and with my, with my, with my studies too, with my education, because I feel like PhD is going to be a lot tougher than I thought. (laughs) So that's where I am. It will be tough, but as you depend on God, he'll, he'll get you through it, you know? And yeah. uh, do you have any thoughts on being a gospel addict? It's like, you know, like everybody said, it's, 
you you get hooked on to it once you you know once you start following him it's so hard to you know there there could be times when you know you feel like you know maybe you know i don't want this life anymore but then and i think that's why we are addicts <laughs> because we are somehow it, it our life feels incomplete without him that's how i look at it you know it's incomplete that's that's how i felt for a while when i was like you know not on the right path so yeah that's great well let's let's dive in guys um who wants to read uh chapter one i do paul silas and timothy to the church of the thessalonians in god um, our father and our lord jesus christ grace and peace to you from god the father and our lord jesus christ we Ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and in trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and, um, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful um, angels. He will um, punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with enduring destruction and shout out from the um, presence of the Lord, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of the power. And the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that his power may be fulfilled in every good purpose of you, yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jim, uh, what can you tell us about the background of Second Thessalonians and uh, and then maybe we'll start diving into the theme of this chapter. Yeah, sure. We, so we talked about this a little bit in our last podcast, talking about First Thessalonians. But these are First and Second Thessalonians are some of the first epistles that Paul wrote. People think they're the first ones, and they happen in rather rapid succession. So he wrote First Thessalonians. Clearly, by reading, you could see he's answering certain questions they had. He had uh, established that church, and we read it last time in the in Acts seventeen. By preaching in the, in the uh, Thessalonica uh, for three consecutive Sabbaths. And then they had a run out of town, but Timothy was left behind to help establish the church and gave a great, great report to Paul. And so he wrote that letter back to them, First Thessalonians, and then very shortly thereafter, apparently, wrote Second Thessalonians back to them uh, to answer some other questions they had to deal with this persecution, which you're reading about here in chapter one. And then they had some questions about uh, the uh, second coming, which we'll get to in chapter two. And so he's addressing those questions. And then he had to address this particular problem with idleness that we're going to get to in chapter three. That's a little bit of background. 
That's great. So the theme of one of the big themes in chapter one here is persecution. Apparently, the persecution must have got worse even um, from when he wrote First Thessalonians to Second Thessalonians. So, uh, what what stands out to you with uh, his message about dealing with and handling persecution? Yeah, I'll start out just with a couple thoughts. One is, I, first of all, I like the idea, just the structure of this, how he brackets it with prayer. I mean, he starts in verse three. He doesn't, it's not really a prayer, but he's talking about praying for them. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. So he's talking about, you know, praying for them and, and giving thanks to God for them. So he's kind of starting that, starting off that way. And then at the end, he kind of breaks into prayer. To this end, we pray for you always. Or I guess he was, it's not breaking to prayer. It's talking about prayer again. But to this end, we also pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling, calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith and power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you and him according to the grace of our, of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it reads like a prayer. He, I just found it interesting how he brackets it at the beginning of the end um, uh, with prayer. And then, and then just one more thought, Greg. I, I just think, uh, you know, I, I, I get these epistles. They all kind of start similarly where Paul says, you know, here's Paul and I'm writing to the church, grace and peace to you, blah, blah, blah. But there's something here in the, in the intro that maybe sets up the idea of suffering, how they're suffering. Because I just noticed we were reading tonight, uh, he mentions father twice in the intro. Um, and, uh, you, you know, so he just Paul, Savannah, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our father. And, and maybe there's something about emphasizing this. So I just want you to know as you're going through this suffering and we're praying for you in the suffering and you're going through that, but you, you can really rest and you'd be assured of the fatherhood of God and his, his care and his loving care for you. I just, this is why we kind of do the podcast. We read the Bible. We talk about it. You learn insights as you go and think about things that I hadn't seen that before. Like there's two mentions of the father there at the beginning, maybe Paul's, you know, trying to through repetition, drive the point home. Hey, remember who you are. Remember who your father is. Now let's talk about your suffering, what you're going through. And that's a quick thought, Greg. I don't know what uh, maybe you or someone else have maybe quick observations and we can dive in a little more deeper. Yeah, Randy, you have any any uh, thoughts or observations? You know, what hit me as I was reading it was it talks about how the church is increasing and how their faith is increasing in the midst of persecution. And sometimes I think in our comfort here, we wonder, like, how can that be? Like, people are coming to Christ and the people that know Christ are growing, even though life is hard. And we talk to people around the world who face persecution. And yet, um, you know, I think you've mentioned before, Greg, that some of the fastest growing places for the church around the world are where persecution is taking place. And so I just think that's uh, it's a powerful concept that um, admits, amidst persecution, the gospel is not stopped. Yeah, that is it is an interesting observation. I mean, we have, you know, we always talk about how blessed we are to be in America where we kind of have freedom of religion. We don't experience much persecution. We have a lot of comfort. We have the opportunity to be successful, but all those things can be actually hurt us in some ways hurt our faith because we can, it's, we kind of have an easy life life is kind of easy. And when, when life is difficult, that's when you kind of lean into God and you, and you really have to trust him. And 
Um, it is kind of interesting to think about um, how the church thrives under persecution. They say the church in, um, well, um, in Asia is like growing very, very rapidly. Churches in other parts of where, where persecution is the worst, that's where the church is thriving. Um, interesting. Uh, Felix, you have any comments on that or thoughts? About I, that? I was just thinking about it. You know, when you don't have something, you kind of value it more. And I think in America, because, you know, you have it, you have that uh, religious freedom. And then, you know, you have, God is just like right around the corner. So people, you know, a lot of people who are not believers, they kind of do not realize the value of it when i was when i was in another country and i i was kind of craving to go to a church and i could not i realized that that you know i i wish I, at that time i was thinking i wish i could go to a church and you know i listened to a sermon but i there was no resource at that time and uh, i think a lot of people over here in america don't realize it that you know what they have you know, it, 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 it's so true. And I just was just thinking of the conversation we had um, before the podcast started talking about uh, people who are comfortable, people who are complacent like that. And uh, um, Felix thinking about that, um, uh, that reaction when it's available to you, you take it for granted, right? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Randy, you're talking about visiting prisons and that's a different kind of persecution, right? So people there, maybe they're all of their own doing and they're there, they're there, but they're for the... Uh, for what they've done, but it's a, it's not a comfortable life. And in some ways, I think you were saying you find the people there are more open to the gospel and uh, versus people that you can witness to at a college campus or somewhere else who say life is good. Why do I need Christ? Life is fine. You know, um, I don't know. I think you're just sharing about that. It seemed like that cassette range from what you were talking about, that kind of openness from uh, your experience in that recently. Yeah, I um, I just had an opportunity to go with a ministry and share Christ with some people. And you're right, the persecution wasn't coming from somewhere else. In fact, the people that were there were glad that they were hearing because they, they knew it was one of the things that could change someone's heart. But, but at the same time, hard times. Sometimes it's persecution. Sometimes it's difficult circumstances. But I think it's a constant reminder to us of our need. And ultimately, we're not in control. Um, we want to be. We try to be. We fight for it. But ultimately, it's God that's in control. And I think that's when we, we finally learn to give up and give up control. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think here he's, you know, he's talking about persecution and suffering. These people are suffering for Christ. There's a new church in Thessalonica. And they're obviously going through a lot. He's trying to give them a new paradigm, a new way to understand it and think about it. And I like how he talks in verse six about justice, you know, because they could be sitting there saying, it's just not right here. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to follow God. And what, why these people are, why can't they leave me alone? Why are they hassling me? Why are they persecuting me for my faith, right? right? Um, so they're at that point, they're a re religious minority in this secular city and being persecuted. And Paul's trying to talk to them and say, you know what? I know it seems unfair right now, but there is justice coming in the end right? There's going to be just a just God. Uh, and he talks about, you know, the people that are afflicting you now, there's going to be justice. So that knowing kind of understanding that uh, says so you can, you can kind of endure what you're going through now because God knows what you're going through and there's going to be justice for all this in the end. And so then he kind of spends the next 
section of that paragraph and explaining what that justice looks like. Uh, but that's kind of, uh, I think he's really trying to offer them as this kind of hope and uh, a, way to a way to see what they're going through now, uh, what they're going through now through different eyes. Yeah, hope in the midst of uh, persecution. I feel like, you know, <clears throat> reflecting upon what Randy shared with us about, you know, going to the prison and witnessing to, you know, people who are their prisoners there. I feel like we are a very simple creation. You know, God created us. And then we are living this life on this planet. And there are so many distractions. You know, you've, you've got to go to college. You've got to get education. You've got to make money. You've got to get a car. You've got to get a house and all that. But at the end of the day, we are a simple creation. God created us. And it's a relationship between, you know, us and him. And then at the end of our lifespan, we go back to him. So people who are in the prison have pretty much lost everything or you know they kind of realize that the only thing that they have is god so i think god also kind of challenges you when you forget about him or you know you're too distracted by other things god brings you back to you know the most the most basic relationship which is between you and him so i think it's easier when you go into a prison it, it kind of becomes easier to get close to God because there are no other distractions. Your, your life or whatever life you had planned is kind of, if not over, then, you know, a part of it is over. So you realize all that you have left is God. And I think it's for all of us, it's the same. It's just that we have so many other distractions that, you know, in, in, in that list of priority, we sometimes put other things above God. But, you know, it, and as a, as a follower of Christ, it's important to put him above everything else. So kind of what I hear you saying is in a strange way, yeah. in a spiritual way, they have an advantage. Uh, people in prison have an advantage. Now, obviously, uh, I mean, they, they, they had to do something really bad to get, get themselves yeah. in prison. And, and for that, hopefully they've re repented and. And but but it is kind of interesting because it reminds me of a, a sermon I heard from Tim Keller talk, called the two great tests. In this sermon, he said that there's two great tests in life. One is success and one is suffering. How you handle success and how you handle suffering is either going to draw you closer to God or it's going to push you farther from God. And uh, sadly, people that get successful tend to drift away from God, where people who are suffering tend to go lean in towards God. But both of those tests, success and suffering, are some of the two greatest tests that human beings face. And in America, it seems like the test that we are constantly challenged to deal with is the, is the, is the test of success. And we're, we're all striving for it. We all want it. It's, it can be dangerous because if you get successful, you might push God to the side. Any final thoughts about that, Randy? No, I was going to say, I had a friend who said to me once that every one of us are going to face things in our life. Someone's going to get sick. Someone will die. We'll lose a job. Uh, our finances fall apart. It, it, something. We will all face hard times, every one of us. And uh, I remember as he talked about Jesus, his comment was, 
some of you right now think you've got the world by the tail and everything's great. You don't need anything. And why would I consider this? And he said, the, all I would ask is that when that time comes in your life, that you'll remember the one who I spoke about today, because you'll, you're gonna like, we don't get out of this life unscathed. Um, you know, we, I mean, I think about a, a man that went through a divorce and he called me every day until all of a sudden he had another girlfriend. And then all of a sudden he was like, Oh, I don't need this anymore. Right. Mm. That, but we do need Christ. And I think that's the reminder is there are things that come and sometimes they're gifts to us as a reminder that, Hey, there's something more to life than what you're pursuing. You know, our pastor told a really cool story on Sunday. It was a story about a horse and I'm probably going to get the story wrong, but, but you get the idea of what the, what the, what the story is, deals with. There's this guy who had a horse and, and there was a famine. And so all his friends were saying, sell the horse, sell the horse. So then you can get, you can feed yourself. And he's like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell my horse. And then the horse ran away. And then he said, oh, I'm so sorry that your horse ran away. That's really bad. And the guy said, well, I don't know if it's bad. I don't know if it's bad. I don't know if it's good. And then, the, then a couple of days later, the horse came back and it brought 25 other horses with it. And those 25 other, so, and then they said, oh, this is really good. You, you got, you not only got your horse back, but you got 25 other horses. And he's like, well, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's good that they're here or I don't know if it's bad. And so one of the, his son decided that he was going to train one of these wild horses. And so his son got on the horse and then fell off and broke his leg. And they said, oh, so sorry that your son broke his leg. That's really bad. And then he's like, well, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. And because his son broke his leg, he didn't have to go into the army where all his friends uh, ended up dying on the battlefield. And they're like, oh, your son didn't have to go into go be drafted because he broke his leg. That's really good. And you can see what's happening here is we think we we can understand circumstances like, oh, this is really good This that this happened, when really, who are we to know what's good and bad when things happen in our lives? Ultimately, you know, you know, we don't, but, but we do have hope. And that's what this first chapter talks about is the hope that we have in Jesus. Should we move to the second chapter? Let's move forward because it gets a little, actually chapter two is probably the most dicey chapter in this letter. It's, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one to really understand. I'm not sure. And that and that's another thing about our podcast. We're not saying that we're experts and that we totally understand everything about the Bible. We're willing to say, I don't know. I don't I don't know who the man of lawlessness is, you know, that that Paul's talking about. But chapter two, I'm gonna go ahead and start reading it. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day of the Lord, for, for that day, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is to be worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. 
don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is at, is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken till he is taken out all out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and, to, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. And then he ends the chapter saying this, but we ought to always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, through belief in the truth. He called you he called you to this through our gospel so that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word, whether by mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us by his grace and, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Whenever we get to this topic of end times, I find it very confusing. And I like to just say that I believe two things about the end times, that Jesus is coming back and that his return is imminent. And to me, those are the two most important things about the, the second coming of Christ. As far as trying to figure out exactly the day and, and all these things and or lining up how it's all going to be, how it's all going to unfold. I find that to be a very confusing uh, science to to deal with. What about you guys? Yeah, I think it's really important to remember that, you know, um, one commentator is looking at talking about this, that this is really not here for us to speculate on dates and try to figure this out. That's uh, people, a lot of Christians spend a lot of time uh, with endless speculation saying, what does it mean? Does it mean this? Does it mean that? Trying to figure out when the end times are coming and those types of things, but it's meant for encouragement. It's meant to give you hope, to meant to say, look, um, uh, we have a God that's coming back. And that's what I want to, I want to start with that. Cause you talked about the two things. One is that Jesus is coming back and, and just stop right there because I was meditating that this week, thinking about this, thinking we have, we have a, a belief that says our Lord is coming back. In other words, if you ask the average person on the street, lots of people, lots of people don't believe in Christianity will say, oh, sure, Jesus was fine. He's a wonderful person, a great teacher of love and peace, said a lot of good things to a lot of people, just like lots of other religious leaders uh, throughout history. I've got nothing against them, you know, so if you said names, but if you say, yeah, you know, I I really like the teaching of St. Augustine, who lived maybe 500 years after Christ, and Augustine is coming back. 
you'd say, what? Now that's just a totally different, totally different paradigm, right? If you say, here's some other founder of religion, like, you know, I, I don't know much about Confucianism, but and I don't want to pick on any one world religion, but pick any, any religion that says, here's the founder. They taught us some great principles to live by, really good teachings, right? And they're coming back. That means they're alive right now. That, that it's, a, it's a huge, bold statement on Christianity and what we actually believe in our, in our faith. It says, we believe not just somebody who taught us the principles to live by, but he's alive. He rose from the dead. He's alive and he's coming back. And, and that's, I think, the bedrock principle. I think that's part of what, what this is trying to say. He's trying to encourage them. Say, you have great hope uh, just to know that. Just a little bit about the historical context here. So the reason he's writing this is because something in his first letter was was misunderstood or somebody wrote another letter in Paul's name and really confused the people thinking that the day of the Lord had already come or he had already come back. And so people felt like they were left. They felt hopeless. They were confused, right? And so part of what he's doing here is he's clarifying, but at the same time, he's clarifying, man, as I read that, it's like, wow, there's, there's so much there. It's so, it's so dense to try to, to try to understand. Here's the other thought I had. He was only in Thessalonia for like three weeks, right? And in those three weeks, he's saying that he talked about the end times. And that that makes me think he spent a lot of time with these people answering their questions about Jesus and and the future. And it reminded me of, and I don't know if, if you guys have heard stories like this, but I've got friends who lived during the Jesus movement, you know, in the 70s. And I remember, I've just heard these crazy stories of um, one of my friends um, who he was in, he was in high school and um, his father, he was struggling with his faith and his, he was on the football team and his father reached out to this Christian guy who was a, um, an insurance agent and the insurance agent agreed to meet with him. And so, so he met with them and he, he answered all his questions. Then he's like, um, my friend said, Hey, can I, can I invite my, my, the guys from the football team to come over? And every night, every night they would come over his house and there'd be like a hundred, hundred high school kids meeting in his basement. And I said, well, what did you guys talk about? And, and my friend who was this insurance agent, and he was a businessman. He said, you know what? I just answered their questions. And I was like, well, what were their questions about? And he's like, they always wanted to talk about revelation. They always wanted to talk about the end times. They had all kinds of questions about Jesus' return. And it made me think that this reminded me of that, like that, um, you know, how maybe young Christians are kind of fascinated with this kind of stuff. Any, any, uh, what are you guys, what are your thoughts? I was fascinated with it too when I was a young Christian. He spent a lot of time thinking about it and trying to decipher it and come up with a position on this. And um, I think we once we talked about this once before, Greg, because I, uh, I think I don't know if I told you the story or not, but I had a friend who uh, later became a seminary professor. So very, you know, was a budding theologian and he has such strong views in the end times and such strong views and had a particular view. And honestly, I don't remember what his view was, you know, pre-millennial, post-millennial, was something, but he was super committed to it. And at one point made the statement, you know, I don't see how anyone could believe in the other view, right? That was not his. I don't see how anyone could believe in that other view and call themselves a Christian. And he was so, you know, and he spent a lot of time thinking about this, it was very clear in it. 
And I just kind of came to the view, I think I'm not a pre-millennial, I'm a post-millennial, I'm a pan-millennialist. It's the, the, the bad joke I always tell, it'll all pan out in the end, right? And we'll just be with Jesus and we'll be with the Lord. Um, so, uh, but I think you make a really good point. He did spend time talking about this because he says, don't you remember while I was still with you, we were, I was telling you these things. So they were curious, like your football team story. They were curious too. And, 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 and Paul's, I'm sure, channeling that in the right way to say, look, this is, this is a big part of Christianity. He is coming again. And there's a reason for huge hope about that. Um, you don't have to know all the details about it. You don't have to spend time speculating the details and endless fascination with those details. It's, you're going to be with the Lord. Anybody's coming back and it can give you great hope. I think having a discussion about this is okay. I think having a view on this is okay, that the theology and knowing where we stand on things. And uh, But I agree that we can allow this. Um, so much is written about, for example, the rapture or different issues and whether we're pre, post or mid or whatever it is on. And um, ultimately, you're right, Greg. The eminent return of Jesus, the, the bodily eminent return of Jesus is going to happen. And we don't know all the details. And um, I just remember in high school, I was the exact same way. We would go out with our young life leader and ask questions either about that or about sex. It was one or the other. And um, that's what we wanted to know about end times. And, and so, but I, I just remember I read the book as a high school student, The Late Great Planet Earth, and it's all I could think about. And this must be this and trying to fit the puzzle together. But ultimately, I think that's what was happening here in, in uh, Thessalonica. They were so consumed they had missed it or uh, that it was going to happen any day. And so Paul's just trying to straighten them up and saying, guys, we need to just follow Christ, follow Jesus, and these details will work out. Yeah, that's that, that's they think the historical point. That's because they they thought you know oh shoot he came because la your last letter he comes you said he comes like a thief and they could come anytime, so maybe he came and we're still around and we're going through this persecution and he forgot about us right so we missed it and so this is I think the big picture here is he's saying don't worry the the events when they do happen are going to be obvious in such a way that you'll know and you haven't missed it and you won't miss it, um, but there are a couple things that you know that are worth exploring and thinking about or talking about the. Um, this kind of pattern, one, one commentator said, this is just kind of a pattern that he saw in uh, typical, you know, um, uh, lots of rulers, and lots of governments, both before Paul and in his time with the Roman Empire were shaking their fist at God and defying God. He thought that's just going to continue through all history until Jesus comes again. And so what that's gonna, when that happens, it's going to be a continuation of what's happening now. One of the interesting things, and again, not to get into these little details of speculation, is this idea that it's being restrained somehow that uh, in verse six and seven, and that the people there through those conversations knew what he was talking about. He said, you know what restrains him now so that in his time, he will be revealed. So he's referring to some inside conversation that they had that we don't have the benefit of. Uh, and then, and it's some other restraint is taken away. And, uh, but they, they knew what that meant. Um, and so some people now reading that, some commentators would say, well, what he's talking about is the uh, Holy Spirit now is restraining the power of the Antichrist through the presence of the church on earth. And uh, these are the people that are probably pre-trib, right, uh, Greg? Because they would say when the restraint being removed is the rapture, removing the Christians and the whole Christian influence of society, 
from the, and that's the removal of the restraint. And therefore then the law that just breaks free. Okay, could be, that's, you know, one, one way, one interpretation. Um, but, you know, at the end, it's, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think we can know. And I'm not, it's not, uh, not as critical to my faith as it used to be. I guess that's the best way to. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time. Uh,